Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name. 
for you this morning and we just pray that we would never stop having a position of heart where we long to praise you and love you for all you've done for us for giving up your son for us making us new creations so that we can come to your throne and be purified by you lord we just thank you for that truth that we can worship you in spirit and truth and for your grace and your mercy upon our lives lord we continue to worship, that our hearts would just be set towards you, Lord, that we would pour out all of our love towards you, Lord, as we sing these next songs. In Jesus' name, your mighty and holy name, amen.
restores our faith in God, but we
We'll pray and then we'll begin in John chapter 3. Father, we again thank you for the privilege and pleasure just to, to be here, Lord, to be in this warm building. Um, Lord, I pray for those that are walking about. Lord, I think of the, in Harrisburg, just the 28, 29 degrees, 30 degrees it was this morning. And uh, Lord, certainly we are hands and feet. If you desire to use us, Lord, we pray, uh, please. Um, we pray for warmth and strength for those that are the least fortunate that way. And protection, Lord. And God, we just, uh, we thank you that here we are. We can come into this building. We're not risking our lives or limbs to open your word as my brothers and sisters are in other countries and other parts of the world where they're, Lord, meeting with you now underground. Um, thank you for the privilege to open the holy word of God, Lord, your perfect word that you lift higher than your very name. Lord, we, we take this serious. The stakes are high, Lord. So, God, we uh, pray, we ask you to prepare our hearts here this morning. We want to hear what your spirit has to say, Lord. Um, so much to cover, so much to say, but God, would speak to the hearts of your men, women, the people, the children, Lord. Speak those lovelies into our hearts that we need, Jesus, for these last days. We ask and pray faithfully, believing, trusting, and knowing that, Lord, you are able and, des and desire to do these things. So we pray and ask this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray. Amen. Amen. Chapter 3, one of the most, um, I always say this, important, one of my favorite, right, chapters in all of Scripture. I say that probably every other week, right? Uh, I love the whole Bible, all 66 books. Um, but John 3 is one of those unique passages where um, when I think of religion, I think of Judaism, I think of... Um, the aspects of wanting to follow certain things like a law or times or feasts or all these things that, that were put in, and lifted up by man until Christ had physically come to this earth. Um, and there's this man, his name is Nicodemus. Some of you have read this passage. Some of you have never heard of this passage. I've ever called him Nick or Nick at night. You've heard me say it that way. Others have said it that way. We read he's a Pharisee, so approximately at that time, he's one of 7,000. They actually were in the minority at that time. The Sanhedrin was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. Just much like in our political system, you might have a Republican and or a Democrat, and, and you might, I know there's other things within that, but I'm sim oversimplifying it. But um, at that time, they had majorities, just like we would have a majority. As a matter of fact, the Republican House just took majority as an example, right? So they had similar things that would happen at that time. You had 70 that made it up the Sanhedrin. You had a high priest, um, Caiaphas, who would make the 71, okay? That's how you get the number 71. And as a Pharisee, he would have been in the minority, because at that time, the Sadducees, best we can tell, would have had control over 
the Sanhedrin, as far as the dominant or the majority, if I can say it that way. And so here's Nicodemus, this man we're going to be introduced to. He's a ruler, okay? Some have suggested he was, you know, a ruler of the Sanhedrin. We know that's not true. Caiaphas and extra biblical evidence tells us that's not true. But he certainly was a very prominent ruler within Israel, okay? And we can't miss that either. This cost Nicodemus something to come and have this meeting. Uh, at that time, the Sanhedrin was notorious. Uh, well, it's really not all that different today. You know what our wokeism is? You hear about that? It's not ours. I should say their wokeism. The idea on the cancel culture and all of that. The Sanhedrin at that time, if you were in the majority or you were in right relationship within the Sanhedrin, oh my, everything was well for you. Best restaurants, as I would say it, the best places, the whole thing. Doors opened. But if you went against the hand that fed you, if you turned around and had a different thought or idea, oh my, not only did they want to destroy your position within the Sanhedrin or as a ruler, they wanted to destroy your family, they wanted to destroy where you came from in your village, the community, they wanted to destroy it all. And that was the sort of um, unbridled threat that existed at that time. And so we, we have to understand that because this man, Nicodemus, uh, we, his name meaning, well, in the Greek, his name meaning conqueror of the people. Interesting name, right? Uh, we also read uh, uh, other scholars who say, well, it's the victory of the people. They've tried to change the name Nicodemus. Um, Messianic Jews have, have retranslated, I use that term, they've retranslated or tried to make it say something, bringer of illumination. I like that too. Certainly he's going to do that. But this man was a minority of the minority. And what do I mean by that? Because even, we're going to read, he uses plural, we. That means other members in the Sanhedrin, other members of his sect within the Pharisees. Again, one of about 7,000, Josephus tells us, he is a small group of people that acknowledged or knew and believed that Jesus Christ was more than this problem that the rest of the Sanhedrin had tried to make him. And so not only is he a minority in the Sanhedrin, but he's a minority even within the Pharisees, a minority of a minority. But it's like Jesus tells us, you and Jesus are what? A multitude. You're a multitude. So as we go through here, we're setting up the stage. The Lord set us up for us to understand these things. And we're going to learn the respect he has for Jesus of Nazareth. He's going to meet him. I do believe it was because he was afraid and fearful. Certainly he knew the cost of this, but I don't think that was the only reason. I think a lot of scholars, uh, I'm not one for commentaries too much. Uh, I believe commentaries are helpful, but commentaries are useful to the man inspired to give the word at that particular time to the group of people, which he's called to do that with. It's not that I don't think Spurgeon is anointed, but Spurgeon was anointed to the people he was called to speak with, and I trust the Holy Spirit will speak to you and I here this morning through his word, and it'll be a new and a fresh and so as we read this and we see these things, I do think it's possible that he was fearful, but I also believe, and very importantly, he was busy ministering during the day. So some of this was also he was working, if I can say it that way. And it was also convenient to meet at night. This is all laying this because here's a man that had a prominent position in Israel, again, a Jewish man. And when you think about how you want to reach your Jewish brothers and sisters, it's not going back to Torah and arguing about the different aspects of the law or of Isaiah 53. No, no, that's not what Jesus did here. He didn't do that. 
He simply was concise. He presented truth. And he gave them things of spirit that they couldn't understand in the physical realm. And he made it very plain and true. So let's just look at that and let, let us today. Maybe there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone here that's under a law. A law they've placed upon themselves. And I pray that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will open the heart. And I pray, save now, salvation. For today's the day of salvation. Chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, it's a form of respect as well. We, circle that in your Bibles, it's plural. We're going to go through some of the Greek here in a little bit this morning. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and chi, that's the conjunction, the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Again, a prominent man, studied Torah from his youth, taught other men, and yet the simple truths of God, no matter how much intellect and hedge knowledge you have, it cannot save you. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you have not or do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man. Remember that title means? Image bearer. Who is in heaven, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And so a lot of meat on this bone as we go back to chapter 3 verse 1 here. He describes, as we've talked about this a little bit, this Pharisee. We know Paul was a Pharisee. Philippians chapter 3 verse 5. They were a sect of the Jews. They did believe in the resurrection. They did believe in angels. Unlike the Sadducees, that was a very big sticking point for the Sadducees who neither believed in the afterlife nor obviously the angels uh, or the resurrection. So there was contention within the Sanhedrin. And this man, Nicodemus, was already a minority at that time of the believing Sanhedrin. And it says, this man came to Jesus by night. 
Um, this man would have been known as much of the Pharisees were at that time as zealots to some extent, very zealous the Pharisees were known for. So he's very anxious to come to Jesus of Nazareth. And when he comes to him, he says, Rabbi, or the idea of teaching Rabboni, right, out of respect, we. Again, I ask you to circle that because the idea is plurality here. There's no one that can say that members of the Sanhedrin misunderstood who Jesus was. No, this was a flat-out denial and rejection. And why do I say it that way? Because he says, we know that you are a teacher. We know. It makes you think when Caiaphas sends him, along with the other members of the Sanhedrin, to Pontius Pilate, they knew he was innocent. And they couldn't convict him of anything. And here we even have the evidence that there were members already in the Sanhedrin that were already aware by saying, we know that you're a teacher. And that you've come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. He's very practical, uh, pragmatic, Nicodemus is. He's, he's not going into a, a tremendous amount of theology right now. He's not breaking it out for Jesus. Wow, we can see that you filled these 40 messianic prophecies. We can do that this morning. I can go through them with you. Nicodemus didn't do that. What, what Nicodemus did is he came and he said, Rabboni, teacher, it's impossible for the signs, for the, for the evidence, for the things that you've done, lest it be from God. And that's a member of their own sect in the Sanhedrin, a Jewish man of high honor, a ruler. That's declaring these things audibly. And he said, we, in other words, it wasn't him alone that believed this. But there were some that already knew this to be true. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, if you're using a, a King James, you might have verily, verily. I love verily, verily when he says that. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, above, the idea in the Greek, above, right? Above, speaking to the spirit, above spirit. He cannot. Circle that in your Bible. This is not debatable. This is beyond contestation. God has not created a gray door, an open door, uh, in that we can, you know, somehow invoke pluralism because it feels good and we believe God is good. No, it's very specific. He cannot see the kingdom of God without being born again here. He's right to the point, isn't he? He goes right to the point. He doesn't, he doesn't turn around and he doesn't honor, well, thank you for calling me a teacher. And, oh, by the way, let's spend some more time in Torah and going back. And I can point and show you all the ways that I'm fulfilling this. All the ways that I can convert you from Judaism to Christianity. And let, let, me, let me do it that way. No, no, no. That's not what Jesus did. He declares a truth, an axiom, and he does it very simply and concisely. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again... Now, this is a man that studied Torah from his youth. We're going to read here. He has no idea what Jesus is even talking about. He has no idea. But it wasn't that it wasn't taught. And it wasn't that God didn't know the conscience already. Because again, God is what? Spirit. We know that because if we look over it again, we've gone there a couple times. Chapter 4, verse 24. It says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and truth. So what was the rub for Nicodemus? Nicodemus was coming to him, the very God, the sign he wanted, which blows my mind. He's sitting in front of Messiah, who is the sign. Because after all, what was the sign? The Son of God. 
What is the son of God again? An image bearer. What is the image bearer of? An invisible God, God that is spirit. Go back to Genesis 1. He is spirit. And then he put on flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. And he stands right before Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, as we know, back in chapter 2, back earlier when he was saying, hey, what about a sign? When some of the religious leaders were gathered, they wanted a sign or they wanted to understand these things. And he says, in verse 19, you know, destroy the temple and in three days I will raise it up. In other words, the resurrection is the, is the sign you desire. But, I, but Jesus himself, I am a sign. Because he's the image bearer of the invisible God. And he's God. And so that just blows my mind because he's going to explain this. He's going to go into the, because Nicodemus is all in the physical. He's going to take Nicodemus on, a, Nicodemus on a journey to the spiritual, to the supernatural. He's going to move him from the physical in which he understands and religion is just polluted with. Because even in religion, it's all, well, creation testifies. Creation testifies of what? There's fingerprints of God in everything physical that points us to the supernatural and the spirit. And there's a purpose in that. And so there's so much more going on in this conversation as he's sitting there, as he's talking with Nicodemus. You have to be born again. And, and Nicodemus is probably scratching it. What does that mean? I, I'm not familiar with that. Um, turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. Spirit is so beautiful and gentle and simple. It's not built up on Jesus plus something. It's God. He is God. And the understanding of that is simple as well. And that, as we're going to read here in verse 9, he measures, he sees our thoughts, our heart, our motives. And that's why even in times of past, it was faith that saved men and women. And it was accounted to them for righteousness. It was never because anyone ever perfectly kept the law apart from Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. As for you, my son Solomon, no. Well, that's a very strong word. And in the Hebrew, the idea is you can, well, we would say in the Greek, kenosko. But you can, in the Hebrew, you can apprehend. You can apprehend the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a what? willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. Why am I saying this? Because he's having this conversation. Jesus, Jesus is God. He's having this conversation with Nicodemus. He knows what Nicodemus needs. Nicodemus didn't need more Torah at that moment. He didn't need to, he didn't need to understand the mental aspect of that. He understood it more than most would. He needed to believe in his heart that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise as Messiah. There's 18 inches that separates your brain from your heart. But God knows. He searches the heart, understands. He knows exactly what Nicodemus needs to hear to draw him. Some say he was already saved at this point. Well, then, if he was saved, how did he get saved without understanding? Because you can't be saved without the Spirit. So it's circular. 
all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, please, this is a promise for us today, friends. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, and this is very much true today, he will cast you off forever. That's powerful. God is not grammatically challenged. Well, turn back and uh, on, on your way back, I guess, let's, uh, let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. I, I thought of 1 John because, again, John being the inspired human author. And I, I was wondering, I said, Lord, did you further expound on this? This idea of what was happening here. If you, if you turn to chapter 5 again in 1 John, and you look at verse 20, I said, Lord, did, did you further expound? And he goes back to the idea of the image bearer again, the son of God. In 1 John chapter 5, 20, he says, and we know that the son of God, there's that same title that we just read in John chapter 3, the idea, the son of God has come and has given us an understanding. As a matter of fact, it's been in chapters 1 through 3, by the way. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. That we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He's pointing it directly back to Jesus Christ, that when you know the son, you also currently and will always know the father. Why? Because of the title that he gave again, son of God. It's a title for an image bearer. When you see the Son, you've seen the Father, even though the Father is the invisible God because he's spirit. When Jesus, the Spirit, put on flesh, Emmanuel, and dwelt among us, you now have a way of apprehending or seeing. This is what Jesus is building on because Nicodemus isn't going to understand. Many of us may not understand this. Again, the most prominent, one of the most prominent teachers of his day didn't understand, and that's, that's okay. How do we know he didn't understand? Well, let's read on. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? That tells us he's still in the what realm? He's still in the physical. He's still in the temporal. He's not in the eternal. He's not walking in the spirit. He's not thinking in the spirit. And before we're too tough on Nick, how many of us didn't apprehend before we were born again? Right? What does Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 tell us? That if you don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh, you need to do what? Walk in the spirit. Those who walk in the spirit shall not fulfill the law, the law, the loss of the flesh. He says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He, again, he's focused alone on the physical, but God is speaking to the, the supernatural because God is spirit. He's drawing him to him. He wants him to see this. He's drawing him to him. He's very literal, Nicodemus. Verse 5, Jesus answered, and, and I love this. It just teaches us also Nicodemus's heart. The Nicodemus wasn't doing this to be cynical. He truly didn't understand. And Jesus knew that because we've already read 1 Chronicles 28.9. And, and God is able to do what? Know the heart. He's able to test, understand, and measure. Know the heart and our thoughts. So he clearly, by coming back this way, tells us that Nicodemus was not cynical. But he generally didn't understand. And so God is going to, once again, um, try to explain this to Dick and Nicodemus in a very beautiful way. Most assuredly, I say to you, now clearly, that verse, that word you, circle that in your Bible. That's soy in the Greek. The word is soy in the Greek. It's, it's a G4671. Uh, if you like your text, I love text studies. I study the Hebrew, I study the Greek. I love that. This is soy. Why am I bringing that up? Because it's used in a singular fashion in the Greek. It's, it's not like English. English, you know... Um, 
we, we have plural, we have singular, but, but we don't have as many words to use. Our context determines the use of our wordage or our grammar, right? The, how we use things. Not so in the Greek. The Greek agape love, unconditional love, phileo love, right? Emotional love. Like I can use different words to connote what I'm trying to get across to my, my listener, my hearer, my reader. By using this word soy, he's telling us singular. Now what's happened? Well, you've had a lot of scholars that have had a lot of time on their hands. And so they come back and they read this. And you know what they say? You see, this is a provision showing that only Nicodemus, because he was a Jewish ruler and was not in the know and was misleading Israel and the Jewish people, only he had to be born again, but the rest of Christianity does not need to walk or be born of the Spirit. It's like they stopped reading the rest of their Bible, right? There were scholars, no, they really, there were scholars that claimed that. But thank you, Jesus, for the language, because it bears it out in the Greek, and we're going to keep reading. So again, G4671, soy, unless you, Nicodemus, and that's true, it is singular here, Unless one is born of water and chi, that's the word and in the Greek, it's a conjunction. It's not separated. It's, a, it's almost like the Granville Sharp rule of Greek. If you know what the Granville Sharp rule is, pastor, teacher, they cannot be separated. It's the Granville Sharp rule. It's the same thing here. And chi with the spirit. Why is he saying that? Because Nicodemus was focused on a water birth, wasn't he? He was focused on the birth because he said, how can you go back into your mother's womb? He's still focused on the temporal and the physical, maybe even the metaphysical, if I can say it that way, to some extent. But Jesus is drawing him to more. And without the Spirit, you need the Spirit of God. And that comes through Jesus Christ, right? He cannot enter the kingdom of God. He makes it very clear. Again, he says, cannot. He already said that earlier in verse 3. He's declaring it again in verse 5. He cannot. Then he goes on to say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Right? What does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I believe? This mortal must put on what? Immortality. This corruption must put on incorruption. He's moving us from the temporal to the eternal. That's why you and I, we haven't received our glorified bodies, right? Some of you walked in here, you know, maybe a little hip, maybe a little knee. I got my cheaters on, right? We don't have the glorified body. We have the promise of salvation and eternality, not being separated from God. But we haven't, the Holy Spirit is actually that down payment of proof, by the way. We will one day receive a... a glorified body. But, but in the meantime, he's saying th th there's those that walk temporally by the flesh that are completely blinded from the spirit or the things that God is doing around them because God is spirit. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's making a clear dichotomy here. You, you, he says you need both. And then he goes on and says, do not marble that I said to you, now, there it is again, you. If you do a word study low, you ready for this word in the Greek? Hamas. Very interesting. Hamas in the Greek. It's G5209 if you want to look up in your strong concordance or a lexicon if you prefer a Greek lexicon. Do not marvel that I said to you. Here's the difference with Hamas compared to the you that we read earlier that was soy in the Greek. This is plural. Why is that significant? Because he was saying to John in the first 
plural or singular. John, you need to be born again. And now, by the way, what he's saying here is everyone must be born again. And how do we know that? Because it's Greek and it's plural and it's you and it's the idea of all of us. He's speaking to the plurality. In other words, Nick or Nicholas, which is the English version for Nicodemus, your religion is not enough. Your religion's not enough. Hamas, we, you, plural, all of us, must be born again. And that's how we know that those scholars that like to pick that one soy and say, well, see, he's only talking to Nick. If they just read on and they just continue to look at the Greek, we see the plural of you talking to each and every one of us. And that also tells me that every single Believer in Jesus Christ, if they're a true believer in Christ, is born again. Born of what? The Spirit. I know there's certain sects within Christianity or denominations. They have no idea what I'm talking about. They have no idea what we're talking about, being born again. They, they, I think of Catholicism. I had come out of Catholicism. I was born, you know, I was raised uh, Italian, Catholic, you know, that's what we... And, there was no idea of a born. If you had said to somebody in our church at the time or the prayer, are you born again? They'd have looked at you. What? They would have pulled a Nicodemus on you. How are you going to go in your mother's womb again? No. Isn't this amazing? Does it blow your mind? It blows my mind because, again, he's speaking with such a prolific, profound religious leader that his whole life he had missed the fact that God is spirit. And that he needed the spirit of God. I just, in the gentleness of Christ, because Christ being the son of God, the image bearer, sitting right at him, looking him in the eyes. Oh, I believe it's at this point that Nicodemus just, and he's, it's going to tell us he understands this. Because he says, how can it be? So he gets it. He understands what Jesus is communicating. At that moment, the switch is flipped in his, his mind, his heart. He understands. He understands exactly what's being said. I think it's precious. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born. And then he, what's he do? He goes back to the physical because Jesus meets us where we're at. Nicodemus is very literal, pragmatic, and very physical. And what's he do? He draws him to the, the, the spiritual because he says the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it. What's he talking about? He says the wind blows and you hear the effect of it. I can't look out in this room right now and see who's truly born again. I don't have some type of special device to be able to do that. When you accepted Jesus Christ in your heart and you believe that he died or he suffered, died, and he's resurrected, and you, you've made that, you're a doulos, or doulos, you're a bond servant of Christ, you've given your life to Christ, I have no way of measuring that by looking at you because you could have prayed that silently. There's no religion involved in it. You don't have to tap your head, rub your stomach, right? I can't tell. But you know what I can tell and what he's bringing out here? Is as you continue to sanctification, I can watch and see your fruit. And that is a sign to me that you are redeemed because you begin to experience sanctification and the things that a sanctified person would, would do. But it's the effect, isn't it? I can't see the wind, but I can hear or feel the effect. 
And it's the same thing with the Spirit of God. I can't see when somebody accepts Jesus Christ, but I can then thereafter, by their work or their things that they do, by their fruits, I can then know. And didn't Jesus tell us that? By their fruits, you will know. So the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot. He says cannot. Jesus says this is not something that's up for debate. It's not like somebody in here goes, I can tell. I know the minute somebody says they accepted Christ and I walked in the room, I'm like, you. (laughs) You might discern it in your spirit. You might discern that they're a fellow believer. I'm not denying that. But to be like, ha ha, my meter, it's up. No. Do you believe it's possible that people in the Roman Catholic Church can be saved and still attending a Roman Catholic Church? Yeah. Do they still go and practice things that we would consider um, unbiblical? Yes, they do. And maybe that's what Jesus is talking about right here. We're not saying it's right. We're certainly not condoning it or encouraging it. But the reality is we really don't know who's saved. How many times when you think about someone that passes, a loved one, a friend, you have no idea in the last 30 seconds whether they gave their life to Jesus Christ in their last breath. We have no idea. And to presume we do is incredibly pompous. It's incredibly prideful. He says, you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. And I know there's weather men and weather women today or weather people. I, I know today there are weather people that will tell you, well, yeah, there's fronts coming through, right? Some of you saw Buffalo, New York just got four foot of snow and there, well, the winds are moving. Tell me where it came from. Well, it came from the east. Yes, but where in the east? Only God knows because God controls that. He is the author. He's the author. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Spirit, The idea is spiritual birth can't be seen with, spiritual birth can't be seen with human eyes. But it's just as real as the human physical birth. And that's what he wants us to see here. That's how powerful what he's... Now, how do we know Nicodemus actually believed this? Look at verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? He understands now. He's not going back and going, wait a minute. You just made this huge jump from the physical to the metaphysical to the spirit. Whoa, 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 time out. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, how can it be? All my knowledge, all my studying, all the things I've read in Torah, all the things I've studied, how can these things be that I, I never comprehended this? I never understood. I never even knew to look to this. I didn't even think about the idea of an image bearer. And that you're, 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 you've come in the flesh that way, spirit, so that we can look upon and see the eyes of God, experience God. How can these things be? In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Friends, that's about as polite as Jesus can be in a gentle rebuke. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know, we being God, plurality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and testify what we have seen and you did not receive our witness. That's the rebuke. That's, that's where Nicodemus had erred in his way. That's where Judaism, you might say, had erred in its way. He says, I'm telling you about the things that I have witnessed, experienced, 
authored from above, and it's come down to earth. He has. And these signs is the fact that I'm sitting right before you. You asked about signs, remember that, back in chapter 2? Verse 19, the only sign he would give them. You want to know about signs? I'll give you a sign. Look into my eyes, Nicodemus. Doesn't that blow your mind? Think about Nicodemus and Jesus in that most intimate conversation. He says, this isn't an ideology. He's saying, what I am telling you is pure truth. It's validated. Now, why won't you believe? If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he, Jesus, who has come down from heaven, that is the son of man. Again, he goes back to the term for what? Image bearer. He, this is not coincidental. He is drawing us to this idea again, over and over again, so we can't miss it. And then even 1 John 5, remember we went there? The same thing, the Son of God. Why is John, through inspiration, repeating this title? Because he's wanting us to understand that's what Jesus, part of his work was to die on the cross, yes. But part of his work was also to be the image bearer of God, the Father, in the Spirit. Who is Spirit, he is dwelling among us. He's reaching out and saying, I love you and I want to save you. All who are heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Right? He, he, how much more could Jesus have said to let people know it's not about what you've done, where you've been, or how good you are. I'm going to meet you where you're at. He's meeting Nicodemus right where Nicodemus is at, isn't he? He's bringing them from the physical to the spiritual, the very thing that you and I need to be born again. And then he ties it back to something that, you know, Nicodemus would appreciate, Torah, certainly. He's going to go back. He's going to remember, certainly. And Jesus is going to say, Nicodemus, do you remember in the Old Testament when there was a bronze serpent that had to be lifted up and all those that looked upon that serpent were what? They were healed. They were saved. They didn't die. They didn't get further bitten or destroyed by the, by the snakes and everything like that, right? Hmm. Why would he interject that right here if he wasn't making the comparison to the perfect Jesus, the perfect Savior, the perfect Redeemer? That's exactly what he's doing. Now he's going back to help them that this was always part of the plan. Now, one who is ascended from heaven, but he came down from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so, okay, even so, the son of man must be lifted up. And that whoever believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There it is. It's that simple. And Jesus designed it to be that simple. Do you realize today, the latest study that I was able to find online regarding this was a study that was done in 2020. And it said that 53% 53 of Christians believe you get to heaven based on good works. So that's only two years ago. We're talking about people that would, that would classify themselves as Christians. 53% of them, more than half, believe 
You get to heaven based on good works. Despite the fact that John chapter 3 most adamantly says, you, plural, Hamas, Greek, must be born again. We are living in such a time where we have translations and Bibles and some of us three, four, five Bibles in our homes. John 3 is, is, is right there before us and it's communicating, the Spirit of God is communicating, you need to be born again. And yet 53% of the population that, that, that would classify themselves as Christians says, no, no, it's by my works. I'm living a good life. I'm doing good things. It's almost like they took John chapter 3 and they tore it out of their Bible. You know, friends, that's what we do when we don't obey the word of God. Or when we have our own ideologies and opinions that we try to supplant with God's truth. He says, this is the ingredients of eternal life. Put your trust in Jesus it's not, it's not about trying to be holy. It's very simple. Believe. Believe. And I love that because you want to win a Jewish brother or sister to Christ? Start there. You want to win a Christian, one of the 53%, to Christ? Start there. Believe. Again, he didn't turn around and he didn't sword fight with him biblically, did he? One of those prominent Jewish rulers or leaders. He could have opened Torah and him could have gone tit for tat. He didn't do that, did he? Now, if my God, who's the example, didn't do that, why do I? No, it's not what he's looking for. It's not what he's driving us to. For God so loved the world. Again, we see this at football stadiums. We see this all over the place. Um, do they really realize in context what's being said here? For God so loved the world that he gave. You see that again. To give a gift. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something you even need to have an opinion on. It's Jesus Christ that's the gift giver. He says he gave, the Father speaking here, his only begotten son that whoever believes. I'm so thankful for the whoever's or whomever's. The whomever's. All right? Everyone fits in a whomever. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It means we're putting our trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, for eternal life. Again, not on works. Not in religion. Not on feast days. Not in circumcision. Not in all these things that the Judaizers follow back around even today and try to bring into a Christian church again. As though they tear out the page of Galatians chapter 2. It's happening today. Guard your hearts. Here's the warning in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn, pass judgment, the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I understand, you know, there's infighting of, well, is this sovereignty? Is this election? Is this free will? Is this a philosophy of man? Um, Calvinism versus, you know, Arminianism. Look, I'm not getting into any of that. Those are not things we need to divide over. 
Certainly there are things, you know, the divine nature of Jesus Christ, the human nature of Jesus Christ. Those things are non-exclusive. We will not, we cannot fellowship with one that tries to deny Jesus is God. You know, there are those that say, well, Jesus is the stepbrother of Lucifer. I can't fellowship with them. That's not the same Jesus we're talking about. Islam would say, well, he's a prophet or a good man. Again, I can't fellowship. There's no pluralism. There's no Roman Catholic Catholic Islam. There is no such thing like that. I'm not to, I'm not to, I'm not to have fellowship with them. But there are so many different believers that come together in different denominations and churches while keeping the doctrine and the theology intact, but have different ways of expressing that. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with people wanting to worship. And, you know, we don't, we do, you know, 1 Corinthians 1440, we do things in, you know, decency. You know, there's some that want to run up and down the aisles and, and have flags and do the whole thing. Look, we don't do that here. But that doesn't mean that those people that do that aren't saved. That's their way of worshiping. And, and that's good. They found a place where they can, they can do that. Right? And, and praise the Lord for that. And, and you get where I'm going with this. There are things that different people within the sect of Christianity that we don't have to divide over. But the minute you come to the divinity, the nature, the, you start trying to redefine Jesus, his message of goodness, you try to redefine it even with you know, a workspace, well, I got to meet on this day of the week, I can, I can only eat these things, I can, you know, you start bringing the law or you start bringing Judaism back into Christianity. Oh no, there's no place for that. Why are you going to put Jesus Christ back on a cross? No, those are two different things. He says, he didn't come in the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not been believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light, allow me to substitute light for Jesus, because John already did that in chapter 1. And this is the condemnation that Jesus has come into the world and men loved evil, darkness, rather than Jesus, light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the Jesus or the light and does not come to Jesus or the light, lest his deeds should be exposed, because Jesus is not a respecter of persons. Verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light, comes to Jesus, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. When people reject Jesus or the light, as we read in this context, it's because they're giving priority they're protecting darkness that Jesus would want to expose, that he would want us to turn away from and to repent. This isn't, and I said the same thing in the first service, the simplest way I know how with our time. This isn't a matter of misunderstanding. It's never been a matter of misunderstanding. I say that often, but I think sometimes people don't understand my heart's intent in saying that. Friends, scripture makes it very clear. It's a battle of wills. As we already saw, even in the Sanhedrin, they knew, we, no one could do these things, but they'd be from God. The reality is it comes down to the wills. Whose will? God's will be done or my will be done? Depending on what will you choose will ultimately determine what you really believe. 
And Jesus is making that clear because he says that even, even those that are dabbling in religion will end up going to the darkness because they don't want the light, Jesus, to reveal the things that they need to repent from, the things that they need to get right from. We're going to close with this last passage. It's pretty straightforward. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized them. Now John also was baptizing in Anion near Salem because there was as much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John did not yet have been thrown into prison. Then they arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, he who was with you beyond the Jordan... To whom you testify, Jesus, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Problem, Houston, we have a problem. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. I thought about this passage. How many times have pastors, you know, wow, the church down the street is really growing. And what, what's happening in our, well, you know, we happen to be a church that's growing. But, but what's happening to this church that's not growing? Where's the rejoicing and, and, and great that, that the kingdom of God is growing and that men and women are getting saved, Jewish men and women, Gentile men, all men and women. There should be a rejoicing. He says, and, and, and yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have sent, but I've been sent before him. That's the fulfillment of Micah again the prophet. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who, st who uh, stands and hears him rejoices greatly because the bridegroom's voice. What's he do? He gives us a video, a, a picture of the wedding. Some of you have been in weddings. Some of you have been a best man or a, I don't know, do they call you the best woman? I don't know. The uh, bridesmaid, uh, the maid of honor, I think is the term. My wife's in the other room going, no, he didn't just say that. <laughs> The bride, the bride, the maid of honor, okay. You're, you're, you're literally sitting there, right? You're at a wedding. You were going to give a speech about how you love this couple and how blessed they are. Can you imagine if the, if the best man comes out and goes, well, he's okay. I think I'm a better man, and I really think I should be getting married here right now. That wouldn't go over too well, right? Or I know this is of God, but I think God really wants me to have more of this celebration than my, my brother that's getting married today. No. No, we need to check our hearts. I need to check my heart because he says in verse 29, they rejoice greatly. And that's like I said earlier, there's things we have to divide over. There's distinctives, biblically speaking. But there are things that are not things to divide over. You know, maybe, maybe some of you are post-tribulationists. You believe that you're going to go through, the church is going to go through wrath and we're going to be here for the great tribulation. And, and you know, on the way up, you're going to high-five me and say, you know, Pastor Matt, you're right, we're pre-tribs. But, but I just, I'm going to be on record, be on record for that. I'm saying that jokingly, sort of, because the Lord sees my heart. He knows my heart, my mind. We read First Chronicles 28.9. I'm not going to deny it. I feel pretty strongly about it. And the Bible says so in First Thessalonians 5. That's, okay, I'm squirrel. But, but we can fellowship together. Those that may be of a reformed bent, we can fellowship together. Those are not things we divide over. Now, the divinity, humanity of Christ, who Jesus is, Jesus is Lord. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. But that's what he's talking. He's talking about uh, sectism. S-E-C-T-I-S-M.
Therefore, the joy of mine is fulfilled, he says. He must increase, and I'm, but I must decrease. The Lord is increasing our hearts. He's enlarging our hearts. And you know what he also helps us do? He takes our hearts and he allows us to willingly ever decrease. Ever decrease. Denying self. I'm a new creation. The old things passed away. All things have been made new. For those that struggle with things you've done in your life, they don't define you. Christ defines you. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all, and what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one receives, the musicians can come forward, and no one who receives his testimony, he has received his testimony and has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. It's not a time of the Old Testament prophets anymore. John the Baptist was the last. This is not what he's talking about. He's saying after Jesus, there is no measure. We have the word of God and his truth. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides in him. What he's saying is it continues due to the depravity. We need Jesus. Otherwise, simply, friends, we're not justified. We stand before a righteous and holy judge, a God imputed, not with Christ's righteousness, if we haven't been born again, but guilty and condemned in our trespasses. Because as we already read, it's not a misunderstanding. It's a battle of wills. May God's will always be done. Amen? Amen. If you're able, will you stand with me? And we'll, we'll worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you and thank you that we can stand before you because of your son, because you sent your son into the world to save us, and that we have the opportunity to become born again and become new creations, all just by believing and accepting your son. We just are in awe of the love that you have for us, and, and we pray that you would just give us the hearts to go out to the world, and that that would be our song, just preaching salvation to the world um, through your son, Jesus, and that you would ever be increasing and that we would decrease, Lord. We only want more of you, Lord. So we just thank you again for this, this time together in your word, Lord, that we can just settle that in our hearts. In your mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.